You sound like crap, Joni. What's going on? A little post-nasal drip, some sneezing. That is so sexy. Oh, so our gross. podcast listeners are going to love that. I know. I know. You're so relatable, Joe. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Last week it was face. This week it's a stuffed up. Well, face. let's yeah, we don't ever have to talk about that again. <laughs> Greetings, savory inferiors, and welcome to Vampire Insider, the unsanctioned, unofficial, amazingly illegitimate bastard of AMC's new television series that reimagines Anne Rice's interview with the vampire and is also part of AMC's Immortal Universe. In each episode, hosts Joanne Palumbo, Christina LaRusso, and myself, Mark Snedeker, summarize the episode, talk about Easter eggs, discuss standout characters, interrogate inconsistencies between the book and the series, dissect our favorite characters and their arcs, and provide a body count. Please join us now as we dive into episode four, The Ruthless Pursuit of Blood with All a Child's Demanding. Good evening, Christina LaRusso. Hi, Mark Snedeker. You're a very cheerful little vampire, aren't oh, you? I am not a vampire. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's just a podcast. <laughs> that's uh, right. Hello, Joanne Palumbo. Hi, guys. How are you? So this was an exciting episode. As predicted, the bodies are starting to stack up. We've now met our little Claudia. So let's get some hot trash hot takes. Joanne, what do you think? <laughs> oh, man, this is, oh, is going to uh, be real. Really hard. <laughs> uh, Mark, is torn, I think. Mark, I hate, I hate when you're right. You did warn me to, I guess, in in a way, manage my expectations about Claudia. Did you do that, Joanne? She did not. No, no, Christina. <laughs> not in any way. <laughs> I first want to say that the performance of Bailey Bass is on par with that of Jacob Anderson. I don't know what it was I was expecting from the meeting of Claudia, but it wasn't what we got. She gave me anxiety. The whole episode gave me anxiety, which I guess, you know, Christina and I were talking about it earlier, just a little bit about how, you know, I said the episode was chaotic and she's like, well, it's supposed to be because, you know, they're bringing this child into their home and the dynamic is changing and she's discovering herself now as a vampire. So they did a great job with that. But she just left me rather uneasy. And I'm just like, like if somebody had a kid like that and asked me to babysit it, I'd be like, I'm busy. I can't. Joanne, when you were saying, you know, she's just annoying yeah. and everything's chaotic. Yeah. I'm like, welcome to being the parent of a teenager. That was very true to life. And I experience it on the regular. Not unlike Joanne, I was a little bit taken back by the episode. It took me a while to figure out my feelings about it. I don't dislike Claudia and she's definitely not. It, this was definitely not what I expected, but I understand what they're doing and I like the episode. It's just not my favorite. Well, <clears throat> let me allow me to vamp splain. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> you have to think about it, I think, in terms of what Claudia's job is in the story. And for me, Claudia performs exactly the task that I think was set before her, which is to be a catalyst for change. Because that's a big problem with vampires is stagnation and boredom and regret. That is vampirism. That's the that's the Achilles heel of vampirism. Well, and loneliness. Absolutely. And, and she is serving that kind of the curative function, except I think we'll find that be careful what you wish for. Right. Well, obviously. so she's bringing change. She's bringing companionship. Is it positive? Probably not. And you'll see exactly how she did that job perfectly well. And Christina makes a good point. You have to realize she is a in a different stage of life. And for what her job was, which is teenage vampire, that is exactly how a young teenage girl would be a vampire. I think this is exactly what this episode should have been, which is showing how the introduction of a new force in their relationship will disrupt, possibly unite, 
but move the story forward. So I'm not disappointed in any way. But see, I expected all of those things. I just think the way that they got there and just, she was over the top. I mean, Claudia is an over the top character. She is the most vicious killer of the three, which is really saying something when you have Lestat in the mix there, right? She just (laughs) is voracious. Uh, we'll see. Let's see how it how it all pans out, because boy, oh boy, is this ever Claudia's episode. No doubt. Obviously, as we move further and further into the series, the plots diverge. The most obvious is the different take on Claudia. Mm-hmm. Right. I do think if there's if I have one critique, it's that they've aged her up and I understand why they're doing it and what that brings to it. It brings a different flavor of it. But I think that there is something so tragically beautiful in the horror of this really tiny, tiny vampire. And I think that that's something that's missing for me. That's a big change from the book. I'm with you on that. I really thought I would enjoy an older Claudia. I think that it's a bit, I want to say misguided, right? Because you're both very smart, thoughtful people. Oh boy. But I think it's a bit misguided to fall back on book purism. The overarching question should be, is the show good? Not, is the show faithful to books written 30 years ago? Is the show good? And I've seen, and you see this complaint, of course, in reviews, there are people who are just such book purists that they're going to despise the show. I think book purism can get in the way of you enjoying a very good show. And you might be right. Maybe as the story goes, you'll see that the Claudia arc isn't that interesting. And then I think you can make that criticism and say, well, it would have been more interesting had they been more faithful to the book. But for me, it only matters if the show is good. So one of the first things that I noticed that was extremely different and kind of disappointing for me was right after Claudia is turned. I know in the movie she says, I want more. I think in the book she just says more. But in the show, she just looks over at Louis and she says, you got some more of your own I can have. And he kind of just looks at her and says, oh, you want more. And it really took away from that moment with Claudia because, you know, just just her saying more, I want more really gave the reader a glimpse of what we were in for with her about how ferocious her appetite was going to be and and what a, you know, as Daniel called her a killing machine, she was going to turn out to be. And they kind of took that moment away from her by giving it to Louie. And I did not like that. That choice was a little jarring Mm -hmm. for me. I'll admit it. But backing up even further, the fact that Louie begs Lestat to make her. Right. That's a huge change. That's a massive, massive change in how this narrative now will potentially play out. Because the big struggle, obviously, as we remember in the book, is that she's angry at them for making her. And she sees that both of them have a hand in it. If she doesn't have that tension, because later on in the story, Louis essentially says, yeah, I... You know, he created you, but I essentially started the fire that would have killed you and I wanted to save you. But it doesn't have the same impact. It does put Louis in a little bit of different light in the sense that it has him now wanting that other person rather than discovering that he wanted that child. Mm -hmm. Because he still almost kills Claudia in both. He feeds on her in the books and he causes the fire. So that's analogous, at least. It even looks premeditated, right? He's like, I can do this one thing and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm jumping into this building. She's going to be mine. He's he's trying to stop the fires and, and, yeah. and try and do something to help in Storyville as it's burning. He is trying to redeem himself. He's trying to get onto some kind of redemption arc and fails miserably and ends up creating a situation where that girl who otherwise wouldn't have died was destined to die. And now here he is. He's going to go in and save her. But save her by what? Turning her into a vampire. Well, I think initially he may not have thought that, right? He was going to rescue her from the fire. But right. when he found well, and he she begged was, to have her made. Well, because she was dying. Okay. To him, it was more important that she live yes. for his redemption so that he would have saved something from that terrible situation that had happened because of his capricious action. Well, and he actually said and that. that. I is, couldn't save 
the azalea, but I could save her. He, yeah. he, those were his words. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and his solution is to kill her and make her a vampire. A vampire. Well, look. I mean, that is a pretty good out if you think about these it. These guys are fucked up. They, Lestat is born of trauma. We yes. learn that later, but Lestat okay, not is great born, parents. born of not, not his, well, not, not his real parents, but his he was sired as a vampire right. of trauma. He is terrified of being abandoned. He keeps creating kind of faulty vampire companions. He coerces Louis into it. Yeah. He's trapped in this toxic bond with Louis, who all Louis wants to do is get the fuck away at this point. And then Louis makes just terrible decisions too, one bad one after another. They make very bad decisions. I mean, I think it's possible, and I'm not 100% sure on this, that when you become a creature that has to murder human beings for sustenance and you are given magical powers and are told you can live forever, you know, that might warp your personality a little bit. I think that you're right. Remember in my hot take, I said I kind of was at first really just put off and yeah. then I then I realized something as I was rewatching other episodes last week when Daniel threw the tapes away and then Louis incinerated them I felt like that is the writer that was the writers of the series sort of saying not th this is not that that's trash but that's that and that's right. done yeah whatever that was that's not what this is going to be. So forget what was in there because Louis really just admitting to him, look, th those weren't totally accurate. Right. And Daniel in the very first episode says, I was a, a stupid kid. I was an addict. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, he didn't ask the right questions. I didn't ask the right questions. I didn't challenge you. I think both of them, they're serving in the function of the writing team and the, the yeah. show runners and they're saying that's that and now this is the reimagining and this is sort of you're going to see more of a break and that was so that was episode three episode four here comes that break and it is significant and it is a big it feels like a big rupture for someone who's a book purist for someone who's like a super purist they're, th th they're, they're not gone. even watching yeah. this or if they what they're doing is going around and giving people bad reviews yes i've noticed that <laughs> <laughs> for somebody who's a book who would say i'm a book purist i would yeah. i would say i am that and who didn't like the film for obvious reasons then she may be able to understand this that like okay what i knew then just like what daniel knew then wasn't reliable and here's where we're going to go from here not that Anne rice is not a reliable person i'm not trying to say she's an unreliable narrator but well but I, she did she did the same sort of thing right when she wrote the vampire lestat she basically said all right so that's what louis said now i'm going to retcon here, yeah i'm going to retcon it in <laughs> and say well Louis is that generous term of an unreliable narrator, yeah. right? And here's the real deal with Lestat. Mm -hmm. That technique is the entire point of this show, which is, okay, we're in 2022 now. What's yeah, real? Daniel Malloy has grown up. Louis has grown older, at least, right? Yeah. Wiser, presumably, who knows, we'll see. And that's the whole point is to go back and say, look, what I told you was a story. Is he telling him another story? We shall see. But we are at least getting more than one narrator, because yeah. now you have Claudia. For, I probably, I would imagine, just for that episode. Probably. But I love that conceit. I loved having her be the narrator. Joanne, what did you think of, of it being told from Claudia's perspective? I thought it was a really good change up. And I think it showed both Lestat and Louis in a different light than what Louis has been portraying. You, you kind of see a little bit of a colder, harsher side of Louis when he's with his sister and brother-in-law at the funeral. He kind of, you know, gets in her face and he's like, don't forget what I did to that door kind of thing. And you see kind of a more of a nurturing father figure of Lestat that's not very nurturing towards Louis and Louis's retelling of it doesn't mean that louis's recount of it is unreliable it could just be at that time period that's just how they were i mean who among us doesn't remember that point when your father kind of stepped up and said look you made a mistake now i'm going to make you watch your friend melt <laughs> oh as, we, as we burn him in our incinerator yeah and, uh, 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 so you stay right here young man you smoked a cigarette now you're smoking 500 of them right uh, no. <laughs> you drank a beer here's eight 
80 beers. Yeah. Lestat's like the ultimate, like the parent of a really Gen Xer. Is. Oh my God. I would part ways with you on saying that Lestat was nurturing. It, well, I would. In Lestat's way of being nurturing. It wasn't that way towards Louis, you know, like he tried to teach Louis how to hunt and kill, but Louis just wasn't into it. But the way he did it with Claudia was just a little more gentle than the way he was with Louis. But I, that's what I mean by a little more. I see what you're saying. And you know, you had like those cutesy moments where he's like, stop running in the house, Missy. I'll tell you what Lestat is. Lestat is a funkle. Okay. (laughs) He's the fun uncle. He's like, you want to go out? You want to get extravagant in your kills? Yes. Let's go. Right up there with uh, Champagne Daddy. Mm-hmm. Our Uncle Les and Uncle Daddy Les Lou. And Daddy Louie. I'm like. No, it's just Daddy Lou, girl. That makes it Daddy even worse. Lou, yeah. Daddy, Daddy Lou and Uncle Les. Daddy yes, Lou and Uncle yeah, come on. Uh, What's she going to call him? It was cringe. It was, I don't know, it was cringe. Yeah. Some of it is. Juan de Lac. I mean, I, what do you expect Louis, him to call him? What she calls them in the book, Louie yeah, and except Lestat. But you have to understand that. Or Uncle Lestat and Daddy Louie. I don't know. I just didn't like Uncle Les and Daddy Lou. I mean, I don't think you guys understand the power of nicknames. And maybe <laughs> that I was campy. It was bit. campy to me. And they that haven't was. been campy. And that, well, they, you know, that let's bring that up a little bit here. I posed a question on Twitter. How are you liking the elements of humor? Answers were, I like it a lot. It adds some flavor it's okay and then the other one was like you're starting to interfere with the see i like it i like all those little moments i I, one of the things i liked a lot about last week's episode was lestat had a lot of those moments and he did in this episode and i still am here for them it doesn't bother me it doesn't take away from anything but her nicknames for them again that's just right up there with champagne daddy so yeah, I see now for me a little bit, and especially in this episode, it got a little sitcom for me. And and if you recall back in the episode where we discussed the film, I said, you know, what we were missing in this film was a montage of the happy times. And I think that the montage of the happy times that we're getting to see here in this does take you out of the more gothic moody dynamic now maybe that's great and it probably is great okay so why don't we pause now to hear from our sponsor the feathered nest sponsoring easter egg of the week losing a loved one is one of the most difficult things a loving family can experience the feathered nest under new management can ease the journey of the dearly departed we carry a complete line of luxury caskets available in all sizes we offer prepaid packages in these times of fever and mysterious fatalities don't be caught unprepared visit the feathered nest and meet our well-trained staff open late for your convenience So one thing that definitely caught my eye was that beautiful emerald necklace that Lestat gave Claudia. He had said it was given to him from a marquee who was beheaded 10 years after he gave it to him. And I'm like, "Mm, again, why go, why mention all that if it doesn't mean something? So I did a little bit of digging and there's actually a painting by Rembrandt, but it's not really a real Rembrandt. It's just part of the Anne Rice world. And it's called the lady with the emerald necklace, which was a gift for the wife of a fellow artist named Roland. And the girl in the painting is Deborah Mayfair. So here's another link that we have, you know, or a nod, I guess you could say, to the Mayfair witches. That whole story comes out of the lives of the Mayfair witches. As we know in the canon, there's another book called Lasher that figures on this the spirit who is the one that actually gave Deborah Mayfair the emerald necklace that she wears in that portrait. Now, whether or not this is an actual true Easter egg, it certainly got you down that path. It would be hard to imagine that that's not, I mean, if you look at the picture, the fake picture Mm -hmm. turns out, I mean, it's that exactly large square emerald. And clearly, I mean, they do that kind of stuff for a reason. Right. Right. That would be a very weird, random thing just to throw in there and have that similarity be there. That would be a little too coincidental for my Mm -hmm. tastes. Yeah. And I was trying to do the math 
of like because because Lestat talks about it being from a marquee who was killed by a mob. So right. I was trying to do the math on all that. And would he have been, I guess he probably time wise, it could have been that 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 was some relationship he had. But I couldn't find any reference to something like that in in the books. I think Vampire whenever we, I think whenever we get in trouble like that. And we can't really make timelines jive or whatever. We just go unreliable narrator. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> Everybody is a fucking unreliable narrator. You know, it's fun to guess at these it things, is. though, because it is very clear to me that AMC, that the showrunners are. Well, we knew because I was gonna say, they, they said, said, hey, we're going to put a lot of Easter eggs. And Christina's like, eggs. hmm, I wonder if they're going to be putting any Easter eggs in these episodes. <laughs> She is a master detective. Let you know, me tell it, just, you. it just looks very similar to yeah. what they're calling the Mayfair Emerald. Let's talk about something else that happens in the episode. And that is Daniel is given access to Claudia's diaries. Yes. So I want to talk about what we see in the diaries. Now, this isn't necessarily, I get, you know, it's foreshadowing or I guess it's sort of. It's a hint. It's a hint at what's coming. Yeah. So we know for sure they're going to Europe. Yeah. yeah. Right? So so how he does this in an interesting way. Rashid tells Daniel, start from the left and go to the right, while Daniel <laughs> grabs the book to the, fur uh, the furthest on the right. And he starts to read it. And so the first entry that you see is from Paris on November 14th of 1945. She's celebrating being in Paris and, you know, even she still refers to her body, even though I'm still, you know, the way that I am, I am feeling really good to be here in Paris and a part of what's going on. So she's talking about that. And then the second one that he picks up and it was dated 1941, the place where it was being written from was called Plyeshti. So I froze this and I was reading about it because I know that he starts to read it and he says about eating POWs. And I saw a lot of chatter online about that. And like he was eating someone. He, he's eating the Jews. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Like he, they, it's they, gone she, all the way back to Nosferatu. She, she said, said their blood was stale or whatever. Bitter, right. Bitter. Mm -hmm. And so I thought people kind of worried that it was concentration camps. Well, no, it's not. What it is, is Plyeshti is in Romania and it they had oil fields there. And I would imagine that the POWs being in the Eastern Europe there, that had to have been Russian POWs, I would guess. And she says in the entry, the POWs taste this way. But then if you, as you go on and you read and she says, you catch them going from the oil field back to the camp. Oh, gotcha. And so these yeah. were, that's how I knew that like the POWs were actually prisoners. Not, they're working in, not the in oil. A concentration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're working there in, in the oil fields. So they're POWs. But then the fourth entry was really interesting. And I want to talk about this one. Lay it on us. August 8th, 1921. She writes a section from the vampire Lestat. Whoa. Interesting. It's the scene where he kills his horse because his horse has been, been killed by the will, the right, wolves. Right. He finishes the horse, puts it out of its he misery. He puts it out of its misery because it's suffering. Yeah. Why would she have Lestat's, wh no. why would she have that information in there? Because she actually, they take pains to show that Lestat doesn't talk about his history, not in an interview. And she, Is that the section that was in his handwriting? I we don't think we don't know whose hand, I assume. Um, yeah, that it, yeah, there was some speculation that it was in his handwriting, which is weird because he hated her writing in the diaries. He couldn't understand it, you know? Why does she talk to the book? I don't know. I don't know if it's Lestat's, I'd have to go back and look and see if there's there's a difference in handwriting, but there's a difference from when she first starts writing till sure. because she, of course, she grows up she and she has better, better, better handwriting. Yeah. I was just telling you the word on the street is that that was his handwriting. How they interesting. know? Interesting. Oh, I don't know, but ah, uh, that's yeah. interesting. Okay, so that was a little bit of a like you know surprise Easter egg. Here's yes. here's Lestat. I wonder if it's going to be that Lestat confides in her could be that or at a certain point you know he just decides oh well i'll write i'll write some shit in the, in the yeah. diary now i'm more important anyway yeah that might be maybe that's what it was but it's interesting that it's in there i wonder if we'll ever get an explanation or if it will always just be this random thing that happened well we'll track down the showrunner and make him answer oh. questions for us on our podcast <laughs> okay <laughs> All right. So Claudia's diaries bring me to another thing that's been on my mind. And I've been talking with you guys about it. And that is my theory about who is Rashid. Now, look, you are 
the resident Rashid conspiracy theorist I expert. I, well, I don't know if I'm an expert. Well, but this is an you have idea. A way that more I had. detailed theory about this than I've seen anywhere else. Yeah, you're well, really Jill, good how at you this. you started out though with your with something about Rashid and you were thinking what were what were you thinking, Joe? It was a conversation mm -hmm. that I had had with Dorian. Mm. And they had said that on Discord the chatter was that that was um Armand mm -hmm. and it made sense to a degree there was a lot of you know you could definitely poke some holes into it obviously but your theory it's pretty rock solid well let's talk about the Armand possibility just real quick well, yeah quickly so in general we don't think so the, but the no. clue for him is that he speaks speaks his in Uz Uzbek, or, Uzbek something. or something which like you know that. he's from the Caucasus from, mountains yeah. somewhere <laughs> yeah. the urals or the steppes of russia who knows somewhere in and that general region i think yeah. he's from ukraine so from the ukraine and then they talked about crimea when he mm -hmm. was hearing him pray so that was kind of i think that was a little bit of a red herring hmm, maybe. i think they wanted people to think it was Rush yeah. it was armand they yeah. threw the ukraine thing out there it's really now, hard to understand why he would present himself as a servant and now they do show Rashid as being very religious which does track with Armand somewhat although he wasn't that religion mm -mm. right right definitely Armand in the books is much younger yes than Rashid mm -hmm. although you know well, we're used to nothing. some age I mean, that's yes, fine right. right race means nothing age means nothing right, in right. any of these right. so you have to kind of throw those pre but clearly they're out. trying, the show is trying to tell us, look, this guy is low key a vampire. Okay. Oh yeah. I, I went mean, back and I watched it. He doesn't step into the sun. No, of course not. And they're very deliberate. That's not an accident, right? It's not an accident that he's covered his claws up with gloves. When Daniel was outside on the phone, yeah, it did look like he was very close to being outside, but I guess it was just the angle. But obviously yeah. when he said, check your electronic mailbox or whatever, right. Oh, which okay. is another clue to say this guy is not of this right, time, he, he, right? He's not originally of the last 20 and he years. And called Dubai a child. So we don't think it's Armand, but Christina has a theory she's developing. I know she's going to get super shy about I'm not, it, I'm but just... I want you to present this with conviction. <laughs> And honestly, I want you to put your reputation on the line. I mean, when you, when, when you have proven right, I want you to accept the. Oh my God, we are going to shout her. this. Yeah, we will shout this from the mountains if she's right. I don't know. Well, all right. So there's no, another. There's another option for who Rashid could be. There are a couple of them, obviously. Rashid could just could be, be the guy Rashid. Yeah, I have a. I have a. Uh, uh, I saw a guy on uh, Reddit who said he could just be rando vampire Rashid. Yeah, and I'm like, right. yeah, it could mm -hmm. be, but it that's not fun. No, and it could be the other Rashid that's actually in the books. Who and was toasted. Who was, who was to but again, the story's being yeah. rearranged, so we don't know. That might not actually... Maybe Marius is an unreliable narrator. <laughs> not have happened. All right. Or uh, my theory is I wonder if he's David Talbot. What we don't know is where in the the story we are right now. We are. We don't right. know if this is pre body thief or after body thief. If it's after body thief, there's, there's a possibility that Rashid is David because when David was body shifted, when his yeah. consciousness was shifted, he was shifted into a young man's body, but he's an older man's conscience. Okay, so before you lay out your theory, not everyone that listens to us will have A, read all the books, and B, remember who the fuck David is. And maybe they read a lot of the books but didn't get to Body Thief. So just tell us who David is in the immortal universe as we see it. David Talbot is a gentleman who was the head of the Telemosca, and the Telemosca was this organization that all throughout time they have been observing they don't interfere with what's going on in the paranormal but they've been observing it so they're well aware of witches and vampires and ghosts and goblins and all of the rest okay so that's he's the leader of that society when we first encounter him which i think is in queen of the damned then he gets into this situation with this raglan james who can move consciousnesses conscience 
conscience eye conscience eye uh, for <laughs> as one, one does right for, as one does. If, if you're in the immortal universe you're going to get into some situations that's right from one body to the other and so at this time his his real body has been killed and i'm not going to go into how all that happens i don't want to give it away so my thought is that he is it's his conscience in his new body and in prince lestat they say it's a 74 year old man inhabiting a young robust dark-haired and dark-eyed body now again it doesn't matter about race or hair color or anything else right. i guess they're they're not really sticking necessarily to that but that does track additionally david talbot was a british gentleman and so now this is a little bit of a tenuous little oh no no confidence let's confidence see. when daniel opens up his email or his uh, file and he's typing about rashid he's taking notes after his encounter with rashid so you know that daniel is he's like us he's the audience he's yeah. he's like i'm suspicious of this yes, guy <laughs> we are too daniel what is his end game but before he types in what is his end game he says that rashid makes a martini like he's a bartender at duke's Duke's is a hotel bar located in Mayfair in London. Aha. Uh -huh. Mayfair, and eh? You say? They are famous for their martinis. Yeah. Ian Fleming, in fact, the author of James Bond, yes. was a frequent customer there. And it is theorized that shaken not stirred is something that was overheard yes. at Duke's. I'm uh, so I'm I'm highlighting his Britishness. You know, like I said, that's a little tenuous of a connection, but I thought that that was interesting. And also in Prince Lestat, David talks about, they all do, Jesse, Lestat, and David are sitting around and they're talking about how their ability to remember how to continue to use technology is very dodgy. Like they forget how to use their iPhones. They right. forget how to do emails. <laughs> yeah, because they, they didn't grow up in it. Because they didn't grow up in it. I mean, and they really didn't grow yeah, up in it. Yeah, super didn't. There's a comment that Rice makes about how like their knowledge does not expand necessarily like tech things or yeah. consume new. Learn new things. Yeah, stuff like it's that. Somewhat is, is somewhat restricted. So I thought to myself, well, how would they show someone like that? They wouldn't show Rashid going, oh, oh I can't, I can't, unlock, I can't, I can't unlock my iPhone. Constantly on the phone with IT. This thing's not Alexa. working. Alexa. <laughs> Mr. Point de Lock. <laughs> I don't know how to use the email again. <laughs> I forgot how to use the email machine. <laughs> the, 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 the windows are like, you know, going from day to night, day yeah. to night. Like, isn't that a stop? It, it is. Shut up, burning people to death. So then I thought to myself, well, how would they show a man who doesn't have that skill set? What they, did yourself answer? Would you guys, one of you like to take a guess? Um, what my clue for that was or, or calling or, it the email the, yeah the electronic, electronic e or electronic mailbox yeah <laughs> because that is very archaic sounding uh -huh, right it is. and nobody's going to call it that today right and so i thought that's trying to signal that this is somebody that doesn't really not doesn't, super comfortable with technology yeah or is just is just not is older it's not yeah. maybe not that they're going to say because how could rashid be living in that ultra high tech situation and not understand how you use an email that well, doesn't make sense but i think to show that older conscience yeah. in a little anachronistic yeah just or, a little what's the reverse of anachronistic well whatever yeah old-fashioned a little old-fashioned yeah. yeah i kind of thought that's interesting and that's an interesting you know also calling the city an infant right or a child or whatever you call it that's definitely saying hi i'm old uh, there's one way that you can look at that or there's he's saying no one is from Dubai, because Daniel is saying to him, you're, well, you're not from here. I thought you were a local. And he said, this city is a child. No one's a local. That's like people would used to say, well, no one's born in LA. What he's saying, Rashid is saying to him, I think is that, of course, I'm not from here. Of course, nobody's because from here. Nobody's from here. Because, like Florida. Because this city has <laughs> really in the in the 20th century is really when Dubai became Dubai, as we understand it. Right. It was it. founded sometime in the 19th century, but it was just a, a fishing waste. It was like around 1830 yeah. it was founded. Yes. Yeah, but it was it was 1833 just, exactly, Donny. It's a it's oh, a Oh, I knew that mark. <laughs> but, but you did. But it's just a fishing village at that yeah. point. What he's saying when he's saying, well, no, you know, this all the skyscrapers because the oil that's, money. That's yeah. oil money. So yeah. that's that's new. So that's why he, I think uh, I took him to say when he was when he was saying that. I also would like to point out that when he's talking about the diaries, he says to Daniel, you are being given access 
to a very important piece from the archives. Right. So this could go a couple of ways. So it could be, I was thinking maybe it's Talamasca. Maybe this this penthouse is a Talamasca stronghold. Right. It could also be one of the, the sort of compounds for the great family. It depends on where we are in the timeline. Right. I don't know. So, I mean, both would have had archives. So, but I'm leaning but towards But he says it. the archives and in the canon, in the in Anne Rice's books, is there anything called the archives? Well, they just have the Talamasca and each of the Talamascas, there's like different locations all over yeah. the globe. Yeah. Why would they not now in this day and age have a some kind of a headquarter in Dubai? That would make sense, right? right. If that's what, what they're doing. So uh so I was thinking that David Talbot at once he is once his consciousness is transferred over into that other body, he's made into a vampire. He would have left the Telemosca. He leaves the Telemosca, but he sees claims he keeps going back at night to see people, friends of his that are, are now getting to the age where they're dying. So could there be a situation where there is some kind of great conversion that is being plotted and that there is a reason for the Telemosca to get involved in vampire affairs? Well, and we know that there's some kind of crisis brewing, right? Yeah. Louis has said, I have heard on the, you know, vampire internet, all these whisperings uh -huh. about, uh, we're going to start fucking some shit up. Could he have possibly aligned himself with the Talamasca? Mm -hmm. Could he somehow be under their sway or mm -hmm. control? We don't know yet. Well, we don't know. We don't know what Louis you mean. Yeah. yeah did, I say, did I say Louis? Yeah. Well, I mean, I just wanted to make sure I differentiate between Louis and David. Louis. Because we we're talking about Rashid. Yeah, but. I'll say it really clearly. Louis. Okay. <laughs> I got you. So that's it. So that's my my theory about Rashid. I think that he's going to end up maybe being David and that this is going to be a Talamasca thing or even maybe the great family thing somehow. And then just a couple other little minor ones, call them what you will, just references or Easter eggs or whatever. But they do reference Polynesian Marys, which is where Louis met Daniel. Right. Yeah. Well, according to according, according to, to Louis and the, all these the unreliable narrators, uh -huh. yes. Yeah. Um, and that was an I we we looked it up. That is an actual well now closed, but it was an actual gay bar in San Francisco mm -hmm. in the early seventies. Yeah. I couldn't find anything on it other than somebody had gone to the trouble of plotting on a Google map all the closed gay bars from the seventies in San Francisco. Yep. So that exists in the internet because you know why. It's the internet. They have everything. <laughs> I can find something, a little bit of everything on the internet. There's another yes. thing we do need to look into with Daniel, and that's the folder, Brooklyn Co-op That's Finance. my next thing I was going to say, yeah. Joni. That's so good. I scooped you. You did scoop me. Go ahead. We need to figure out what that means, Mark. That's all yes. I was going to say. Oh, that's it. That was as far as you <laughs> got? as far as I got. All right. So it's his folder uh, on his laptop. I mean, that's right. And then there's also anything. another folder there called trust fund. Mm -hmm. So we wonder mm -hmm. where that's going. Who's the sugar daddy there? Uh, is he sugar daddying, daddying somebody? Is it for his kids or is it a trust fund established uh, by someone else for him? We mm -hmm. don't know. I mean, I'm guessing Satan himself set up a trust fund. <laughs> I, I, there's, we have no way of knowing, but I, def, I, you know, I, again, I agree with you. If they're showing something like the, the folders on his desktop, you, that's, there's a reason to show us that. So, I mean, I, yes, he's showing that he's hiding, disguising somewhat. How but can he? He's even not fooling anybody. He's not? They can read his as mind. As you pointed out, yes, they can read his mind. I don't think anybody there is capable of hacking a computer at this point. You know, with their electronic mailboxes, mm -hmm. but they can hack his brain. That's so. right. Okay, guys, let's dive deep into our standout characters for this episode. Okay, mine actually is Rashid. Well, because you have your theory. Oh, well, because I have I, because I have that theory. <laughs> because I have that theory. And Rashid is with each episode moving more and more into the center of the episode. And that's not by accident. He matters. He means something. I can't imagine the showrunners putting in some kind of big red herring like that. And they go, well, Rashid's nobody. Oh, no, he's definitely going to be a thing. He's definitely going to be a thing. It could be that this is all just Talamasca and, and Louis is there. So you're going to go Rashid. Yeah, I'm going to say Rashid. I think that's Honestly, a great choice. I'm going to say that's my standout character. 
So you know me, I always like to be a little contrarian. So this one, this character didn't really play that big of a role in this episode, but I found the character very compelling, and my character is Claudia. I think, <laughs> what? What are you laughing at? I guess she didn't play much of so Well, she was in a couple a of scenes. <laughs> She's in a couple of scenes. I was like, for a minute, I'm like, is he crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Did he watch the show at all? Did he I do one it. of his things where he just didn't watch it? I know that you watched it. You were sitting next to exactly. me. Exactly. No, for me, Claudia is the clear standout. She drove the entire narrative with the exception of, well, even in the 2022 stuff, she's driving that narrative because we're using her diaries, right? And she is absolutely the center of the action here. She's stacking up bodies like cordwood. She is changing the dynamic between Louis and Lestat. And interestingly, she's very much like a teenager to the point of being kind of depressed. So she's starting to self-harm. A friend of the podcast, Dave from Brooklyn, who is at Brooklyn underscore Haitian. That's B-K-L-Y-N underscore H-A-Y-S-H-U-N on Twitter was in a conversation with us and he said, you know, her sticking her arm in the sunlight there, that is classic cutting behavior, right? You know, she's easily for me, the standout character, unlike Christina and Joanne, I appreciate her for Mark. what she has done for this show. Oh, that's some bullshit right here. <laughs> yeah. Cut it I'm out. I'm going to stop it right Yeah, are you though? <laughs> I appreciated Christina, her. Mic, it just but... was a lot. The buzzword for this show is extravagant, mm, right? Mm -hmm. You talk about Lestat's extravagant kills, but guess what? Guess who else is extravagant? Claudia. Claudia. She is way extravagant. She is overly exuberant and demonstrative. She kills with reckless abandon. Yet she has some level of, of self-control. Where? Well, do you remember when she was going to go kill the girls across the street? Yes, and then she turned to the chrysanthemums. Well, she, mm -hmm. she, she did that because she was distracted by another shiny. Yeah. She was distracted by Charlie, right? So she has... She had competing passions there. One, I would love to murder those mean girls. But two, that guy's kind of hot. She got distracted by that one and then followed that shiny object to its ultimate conclusion. Mm -hmm. So, Well, Mark, as much as you think I didn't enjoy Claudia and as much as it sounds like I didn't. I mean, you literally said it. <laughs> I know, but it's. I want to make it clear that I get that that was her, the whole intent of her was to be a lot, to be annoying, to be all of those things. And mission accomplished, even with all that said, she was my standout character for the week for all of the reasons that you just laid out. So I'm going to kind of go a little different direction, though, and go with Daniel, specifically for one scene um, where he's with Rashid. He asked him if he needed anything else. Daniel says, a cure for Parkinson's. And the reason that that stood out to me was because we had a moment a while ago where we talked about if we thought Louis was going to end up giving him the dark gift. One or both of you said that you didn't think he would want it because he's old, he's tired or, you know, something along those lines. What I had said back then was he was going to ask Louis for it and we don't know whether Louis is going to give it to him or not. And I kind of thought Louis was just going to end up killing him and not giving it to him, but that Daniel would, again, want the dark gift. And I think that was kind of a clue to that because he says, I want a cure for Parkinson's. There isn't yeah. one. So right now in this world, vampirism would be the only cure for Parkinson's. Yeah, I think you have to say at the very least he's tempted by it. I'm I think still, it's a little more than tempted. Yeah, I think he, I think or, he wants it. Or he wants death. Well, that's not hard. But maybe he he maybe maybe it is hard for him. Maybe it would mm -hmm. be hard. And he maybe his his request actually would be just end me. I'm still leaning towards he's tempted, but will ultimately not take the gift. But I could be wrong. I mean, who knows? That's going to be I mean, that's one of the central questions of the whole show. Let's talk about character arc. Do we want to start with Lestat? I did not see much character development with him at all. In fact, how has he changed at all throughout any of the episodes? He hasn't. So you're saying Lestat is like a universal constant, like the speed of light. Yeah, He's Lestat always Lestati. is Lestat. When has he not been Lestat? Even when he has those tender moments, it feels 
calculated. Mm -hmm. It feels like he's doing it intentionally with a means to an as a means to an end. Yeah, it's the same thing we see every episode with him. He's got those glimpses of humor, those little moments of where he's he's almost, eh, you know, you might be like, oh, he's so charming. But then you remember he's a ruthless killer and an asshole. And then he does something like, you know, force Claudia to watch her boyfriend that she accidentally killed melt in front of her. That was um, rough to watch. You know, clean up awful. your mess. He's he's, you know, clean up your mess. You're not wrong. And it's it's trying to sort of impart this fatherly advice, I guess, if if you're a little killer. And yeah. throughout this series, Lestat has been not wrong. He told Louis it, it's hard to go home. Well, Louis found that out, right? So yep. now in this in this episode, Louis breaks with his family for good. He is telling Louis all the time, don't kill people that are important. It's mm -hmm. going to cause problems. And yes. don't get involved in mortal business. In don't get business. involved with that. And, and that's a lesson that Louis had to learn the hard way. And I think he's in his way trying to prevent Claudia, well, she's already learned it the hard way with, with the death of Charlie, but from making an even bigger mistake like Louis did, which was causing all the fires in Storyville by his actions of what he did and because right. he was involved in human business. And I think this was his way of saying like, look, don't be like Daddy Lou over there. Get yeah. your shit straight. And, and if you do, face your consequences. Yeah, Based get rid of clean clean up after yourself. He uh, said, you know, he, he almost he, should have done that with Louis with Claudia. You're not wrong. And what I want, but the point I want to make about Lestat is Lestat is a bad teacher. He's not good at teaching how to do this thing because I don't know that Lestat is all that great at doing this thing. He's he's better at hiding it because he doesn't really have much of a conscience. So you know, he there's no attachment there. There's no hum, real human attachment to the people that he's killing. And you're not a boomer obviously, <laughs> because that's tough love. He's doing the tough love approach, which is, you know, I told you not to do this. Now here's the consequences of your action. He's doing a better job than Louis is. Louis is not a disciplinarian. Lestat is the one going out there and saying and showing her how shit works. Now, look, of course, as humans, it seems extremely harsh for your uncle to make you watch your would-be boyfriend burn in a kiln, <laughs> right? That seems a little, but keep in mind, they're vampires. They see death, they deal death every single day, multiple times they a day. They are dead. And you have to look at his actions in that light. Yes, it's horrible to, watch, to make a young teenager watch her boyfriend burn, but is it as horrible to make a young vampire watch, you know, this attachment that she shouldn't have formed because it's dangerous and unhealthy? Watch her, you know, make her face that. He's extravagant no, he's, he's not right. in everything he does. He even in his disciplinant actions against her. And Louis is a much more nurturing parent. You know, he's the, the, there's a reason why he's the daddy. Another, well, I guess we're moving into Louis' arc a little sure, bit here not? too, because actually, where last week I didn't see much of a one, this week I kind of did. I think that he was showing a willingness to further let go of the human ties. Instead of fighting with his sister when she says, I want the deed to the house or whatever, we'll buy you out. He gets angry at her, but he realizes, I think he's at that point where he says, I, I've got to let go of these human concerns. And he just says, I'll we'll draw the papers up. So I see him moving in that direction that he's moving away. And that's different. And, and also Lestat points out, you were ready to leave us. You were ready to leave me but now you're here and now we're going to have a family. So Louis does, he takes on that responsibility of, of, of family and recommitting to this relationship and to this family. So in that way, I see a little progression with his character. Yeah. And to kind of piggyback off of that, Christina, you know, when they're at the funeral and he's with his human family, Lestat walks up with Claudia and says, Claudia wants to go. And he just very coldly, you know, looked at them and said, you know, I have the papers drawn up. And he walks away and, and you see uh, Levy and Grace kind of watching them walk out. And it was him metaphorically and, and literally turning his back on his human family to go be with his new vampire family. Yep. And yep. I thought that was like a pretty big moment for him. You could make the argument that Louis uses his relationships with others as a crutch to help him deal with life. Oh, for sure. Uh, he had to deal with the loss of Paul 
And he did that by throwing himself into the life with Lestat. He want, he's having problems with Lestat and he's de- disconnecting from his family. Now he's throwing himself into this relationship with Claudia. None of his relationships are healthy, obviously. None. None. I mean, he's just hes not necessarily the cause of toxicity, but he seeks out toxicity or he falls into toxicity very easily. Definitely in some kind of toxic bond. We'll have bond to seek out him. some sort of expert and ask we them that will question. Do that. The other part of the Louis arc is uh, less character arc and more story arc. We know they're going to Paris now, mm-hmm. right? Because we saw the diary that says Paris 1945. Mm-hmm. So we know that he and Claudia are going to Paris. We weren't certain that they would keep that from the that plot point, but we know now that's where they're going. But it's still another 20 and, years away. All right. So, and then the, the, uh, do you want to talk about Claudia? A little yeah. Bit? Claudia for me went, she did have an arc. Obviously she had this, this where she starts out in this kind of stage of wonderment and then right. disillusionment. And here, here is where she is. And she's, she's actually very damaged. Now this whole situation that she's in with these guys is really bad. It's, but I mean, she's, she's a killer. She's an, you're not wrong, Mark, when you say we're looking at it as humans, but she's a vampire. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's not, killing people on the daily. And she doesn't have, have the attachment or any of the guilt that Louis has for what she's doing to these people. She just looks at them very dispassionately. When she went to the funeral home, she's got no no manners at all. She just and she says exactly what comes to her mind, which is the smell in here is terrible. And then also, you know, I've never seen a dead one look so calm before. Right. <laughs> My dead all mangled and yeah, they're peaceful. And she asked, "What were her last words?" Yes. Yeah. I think her arc, so it's hard to show a big arc, but we know that there's passage of time, right? Mm -hmm. So she's gone from whatever it was, 15, 16 to 18. But the sex question has is new, right? From the beginning, the beginning, she's just like, everything's looks cool and smells cool. And I like drinking the blood. Now she's starting to think about sexuality and wants to explore that with Charlie Mm -hmm. and is starting to become dissatisfied with her current state. The, not Yeah, limitations of her body. Right, not to the extent, obviously, that original Claudia in the books and the, and the movie was because, you know, she was a very small child. Claudia, in this iteration, is only going to be able to age so much. But by the time Claudia in the book is plotting these things against Lestat that are, that are going to be coming up, she's in her 60s. If you remember, in the book, they describe her as going from somebody who was like a typical five-year-old to someone who was very quiet and reserved and cunning. very internal and cunning and would do a lot of reading and do a lot of quiet. Right. And this Claudia just is not at that stage. And fairly soon, she's going to have to make she's going to have to make that leap. I wanted to point out that we did learn a little bit about her human life. She had a really rough start. Her mom died. Her dad gave her to an abusive aunt. She clearly didn't have much, was living in a rooming house. You know, all of a sudden is thrust into this world with these two killers. It's almost like she regressed a little bit. Mm -hmm. She gets very immature. You know, when she was at the funeral parlor, she was acting like a five-year-old, all like, like, she could have kept her shit together a little bit better in light of the situation. And she, she just didn't. Then when they go to Lover's Lane and she sees them having sex and, you know, that kind of stirs something in her and she realizes that's kind of what she wants to try to do with Charlie. She tries to act all grown up with the, you know, with the outfit and everything. And after she kills Charlie, she kind of regresses again a little bit. So while she did have a bit of an arc, it really was, you know, a little bit of a back and forth. And I thought that was kind of a neat thing to see. And it'll be interesting to see going forward as she does get older. Is she going to constantly keep regressing back to that little girl and acting that way? Let's see what the show is trying to tell us about her. You're on the lake in the boat with Louie. He's looking for a fish. What is Claudia doing? Catching fireflies. She very deliberately catches this firefly, shiny object kept in a jar, and then lets it go. Now, what are they doing that just accidentally? Or are they trying to say what Claudia really is bucking against are restrictions on her freedom? She Is she the firefly? And she's being held as a pretty little gem by 
Carfunkel and her <laughs> big dad, and she wants to be let free to just go and be as Claudia as she can be. Number one, Joanne, you make a good point about her character going kind of taking two steps forward and one step back. But that's how life is. So maybe she's just a true to life character. That's fair. Right? Nobody it's not it's not linear. There's no linear path necessarily. You have to take some twists and turns. So just because she is stepping back doesn't mean that she's not ultimately making some changes that some changes aren't going to happen. I think you've seen the kind of the first step to it, which is this like breakdown she has because yeah. she's put into this very bad situation. Lestat's teaching her, but he's teaching her. It's like his little toy or his doll. Correct. And if she does something wrong, yes, he's going to punish her, but it's not really going to help correct things. I don't no, know. Makes it's her a, resent. It's a strange him. thing. And let's take a pause here so we can hear from our sponsor for the body count of the week, The Feathered Nest. The Feathered Nest is hiring. Due to the increase of mysterious fatalities plaguing our city, The Feathered Nest is expanding and opening a new location in the French Quarter. Applicants need to be compassionate and have the ability to deal with grieving families, must be available to work the evening shift. Due to situations beyond our control, we no longer offer company-paid life insurance plans. Stop by our location on Basin Street to discuss this fantastic opportunity. This was a tougher job this week because people are falling like logs. Okay. So, Joanne, do you have, can you fact check him? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm waiting. You know, you're ready. Okay. First death, Claudia. She dies, becomes a vampire. Second death, the poor policeman who is Claudia killed the Pope. She did. The funeral home director who made the mistake of saying something fishy is going on here. Well, you should just keep <laughs> your fucking mouth shut buddy and you might be still alive today oh i fought i skipped one you skipped somebody yeah. yeah yeah the musician so the musician she took him out um and then the streetcar conductor which we really don't see on screen but we do hear about it mm -hmm. so we'll, we maybe we'll give them that uh the next death sushi the fish was taken out <laughs> by louis <laughs> I didn't you, have the fish. That's foolishly swam too close to the uh, boat. Next, the trio of party hat guys. Oh, yep. the party hats. Can I just please say that Lestat's little pink top hat that ties with the bow under his chin? I'm that was dead. Boring. Yes. So they, they got eaten. As these deaths are happening, Louis isn't really anguished over the deaths, right? He just doesn't do it himself, but he mm -hmm. seems very accepting of claudia and lestat murdering people in his presence mm -hmm. i'm so mad i miss sushi the fish but i well that all right for claudia's uh, birthday guys i wrote three men and a vampire yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um the next death was louis's mother no that uh, not at the count. hand of louis she uh, wasn't killed by a vampire the next one and i i suspect you didn't get this one either mm. cat run over <laughs> by claudia driving the car I didn't <laughs> yes. they just have a thing against cats which These, is why vampire insider is trolling, trolling cat cats <laughs> we're trolling cats on the daily That's and by the, the way second week of being able to troll cats all right so next we have the foursome in lover's lane we only see really two of them die but we see the other car and we know lestat has gotten his business done the uh, last one that i have we really only heard about this but it was the source of that amazing fur coat was the girl in the speakeasy. Did I leave any out? Oh, yeah. Um, Charlie. Charlie. <laughs> Charlie got a little bit killed there at the, the end. like, most important, aside from yeah, Claudia, kill of the episode. So it looks like we are coming to an end of this episode. But before we go, would you care to give us your final thoughts on Episode four, The Ruthless Pursuit of Blood with All a Child's Demanding. I liked it. It was not, to me, this was, you know, kind of a dip, but I'm talking from instead of 10 out of 10 and 8 out of 10, right? So it's just a little bit of a dip. I am looking forward with great dread and apprehension for the next several episodes because, of course, I think I know what's coming based on titles I've seen, and it's hard. But I also am very curious to see now here with this breaking point, as we break, as this is, if this is really the biggest break from what went before after the burning of the tapes and the sort of saying, 
the first interview was absolutely like, don't pay any more attention to that. Now we have to move forward. I'm interested to see how Claudia, as that catalyst that you talked about, Mark, will not only push those two forward, but will push the audience forward as well. By the way, uh, I think on a Mac computer, you have to actually empty the trash to really get rid of those files. <laughs> he did. He delete deleted. Did he? Yes. Did he double delete? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I have been excited for Claudia before the show even aired. And I have to agree with Christina. You know, the episodes leading up to this 10 out of 10. I do give this episode an eight. However, I want to remind everybody how at first I did not like Lestat's accent, um, which in turn meant I really wasn't crazy about Lestat. He's become now my favorite character. And I'm hoping that over the next episode or two with Claudia that I see what it was and I still can't even put into words what it is I'm expecting from her. But I'm hoping that this kind of turns the corner for, for me and for Claudia and that she becomes what it is I need her to be. I'm hopeful because the show is just a great show. I mean, it, overall, I still give the show a 10 out of 10. Yep. No, as I say, I have, I have really high hopes. I'm not counting Claudia out. She's down, but she's not out just yet. So we'll see where By the way, goes. our whole podcast is based on people loving the show, so you better love it. Thank you. <laughs> I don't have to love anything. Yes, you really do. It's it's okay. Well, I'm just, I'll leave it there. I I don't disagree with you. All right, guys. Well, that is a wrap on episode four. We hope you enjoyed us, and if you did, we ask that you please share us with all of your friends. And you can go ahead and follow us on our new Facebook page. Simply go to Facebook and put in Vampire Insider on the search bar. We are there interacting, taking questions, having open discussions about theories and plot points and everything in between. On Twitter, you can follow us at Vampire underscore Insider. And we also invite you to follow us on our personal accounts. I am at JustBlockMe underscore one. Christina is at ChristinaGenX. And Mark is at MarkEats. Again, thank you for tuning in week after week. We really appreciate all of you guys. Thank you so much. Have a good night, guys. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Bye.